On today's show, the Atlanta Hawks open with a loss in the Quinn Snyder era. It was back and forth in a lot of ways. The Hawks had chances, for sure, to emerge victorious. It wasn't a disaster, but certainly the Hawks have some stuff to work on in the wake of what became a pretty frustrating outcome at the end. We'll get into all of what transpired and more coming up. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1422 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you deep into the night on a Tuesday evening into Wednesday. And today's show, we'll get into what became a 119 to 116 loss for the Hawks at home against the Washington Wizards. Quinsider's debut did not go the way that anyone wanted it to go for the Hawks, although the vibes were still okay after this one, I will have to say. And at the top of the podcast, I will just lay this out. The Hawks are now 31 and 31 on the season, and I think that's not where anybody wanted to be. But if you missed it from the last couple of days, I do like the Quinn Snyder hire quite a bit. There were some early returns that were positive from this game. No one's panicking around the Hawks, nor should they at this point in time. This is not a great loss for the Hawks, as we'll get into in a second. Losing at home to a team that I think they're better than at this point. But it was some variance late in this game and no reason to panic at this point in time. We'll get into this right now and just say, look. I do understand that Hawks fans would be frustrated about this loss and the fourth quarter did not go their way. It was reminiscent of some earlier losses this season under the previous regime. And that certainly brings some uh, not so fun memories back to the table for Hawks fans. But um, generally speaking, the stretch run was definitely a mess in this one. It was 19 to eight in favor of the Wizards down the stretch. The Hawks scored eight points in the last six minutes of the game. That's eight points on 12 possessions, which is not what you want in a game where the Hawks were scoring at will, basically, for large stretches of this contest. Trey Young had a very good game for about three and a half quarters, ended up having a big game on the stat sheet with 31 points. But down the stretch, he was not his best self by any means. He was one of seven from the floor in the last, in the last six minutes, plus a really bad turnover that led to a dunk by the Wizards along the way. And defensively, they just could not stop Bradley Beal down the stretch. Quite honestly, Bradley Beal was the best player on the floor in the fourth quarter, and that was a big reason why the Wizards were able to steal this one on the road and why the Hawks were not able to because while it's never this simple, Trey Young was not as good as Bradley Beal was down the stretch, and sometimes it is sort of that simple in some respects when the two best players are squaring off and Beal had the upper hand in this one. So we'll get into all of what transpired in this game as we always do with some more sort of point-by-point breakdowns later on in the show, but broadly speaking, some takeaways from this one. The offense was good enough to win for Atlanta in this contest. They ended up scoring more than 1.2 points per trip in this game. And that is usually good enough to win at home, especially against a team that, again, is not quite as good as you are. Although, I will say, coming into the night, just as a point of clarification, the Wizards had the same net rating of negative 0.2 points per 100 possessions as the Hawks. So while I believe the Hawks are better than the Wizards, I think the market does as well in Las Vegas and other places. But... I, it's just worth noting that they've been pretty similar teams this year, unfortunately, if you're a Hawks fan at this point. Anyway, the Hawks did a pretty good job attacking, I thought, in this game early and often in transition and even semi-transition in this game. I actually asked Quinn Snyder about that post-game. He indicated that it was actually an emphasis for the Hawks, but not only playing fast, but also thinking fast, making quicker decisions for Atlanta. And that was certainly evident. The Hawks had the edge in transition in this game overall, ended up with 22 fast break points. And uh, that was something that certainly is nice to see. I've always thought the Hawks should be playing faster under this, especially with this regime and this uh, sort of guard-led attack that they have, and they're young and athletic, etc. And that was definitely the case for most of this contest. They didn't shoot it incredibly well in this game. 
Um, about league average or so, 37% from three, 46% from the floor in this game. It took 35 threes. Now, that's not an incredibly high number, but it would have been in the top 15 or so in terms of games this season for the Hawks. So in the top quartile of Atlanta's three-point shooting performances, on at least in terms of volume, and that's a good sign. Beyond that, they only took eight long twos in the entire game. The Hawks have been near the top of the league in long twos all year long. And ironically, I thought it was pretty funny. Um, the first shot of the Quinn Snyder era was actually a contested 19-footer by DeAndre Hunter, which is a shot that you don't think that they will probably be taking quite as much of in the coming days. Um, but as a reminder, I went and looked this up actually right after that shot. The Jazz, under Quinn Snyder, were actually in the top five of the NBA in avoiding long twos by frequency and percentage. Um in six consecutive seasons. So essentially, all of the complaints, I think rightfully so, about Nate McMillan and the antiquated approach about taking too many long twos, not enough threes, Quinn Snyder does project to fix some of that stuff. Now, I'll be the first to say, there's nothing wrong inherently with long twos. I know I get probably painted in that way as just someone who hates long twos. I'm not ever saying that. In fact, I will say this now, the Hawks, with their current personnel, are set up to take more long twos than a lot of teams are because Trey Young is good from there, as is Jajante Murray, as is someone like DeAndre Hunter, even John Collins. Those guys are all very, very competent long two-point shooters in their careers. But generally speaking, the Hawks should be taking more threes. I believe that to be the case. And I think that the Hawks probably will not be in the top five in avoiding long twos like, the, like those Jazz teams were because of personnel. Atlanta has guys who are going to live in that range, particularly Murray is a guy you have to just kind of let get to that spot and shoot some long twos as well as Trey. But I think that's uh, some good progress in basically night one. Obviously, there was a little bit more of that under, under Prunty as well in those two games. But I think it was a good sign for the Hawks, broadly speaking, because, again, nothing is just nothing should just be a game-for-game game referendum right now with a brand-new coach with no practice time, etc. But to have them take a lot more threes and a lot fewer long twos is, generally speaking, a good sign for the future. Anyway... Elsewhere on offense, the Hawks only had nine turnovers in this game, and they ended up being above average on the glass. So even on a night when the Hawks didn't shoot it incredibly well, they were able to produce at a very, very high level on offense. And honestly, it's kind of frustrating if you are a Hawks fan to have this game go the wrong way when they played as well as they did on offense for the most part, even without shooting great. The fundamentals were really good. Lack of turnovers, etc. Now defensively, it was not as good as you might imagine for a, a game that ended up going the wrong way for Atlanta. They gave up they gave up about 1.2 points per possession in this game. They had a lot of trouble containing the ball on the perimeter most of the way in this one. I thought it got better at times throughout this game. And then at the very end, it was just kind of Beal being fantastic. Honestly, it did get better um, contesting and also rebounding as they started to uh, sort of get more familiar with what they were trying to do scheme-wise, playing a little bit higher on the floor, doing more switching. But they only forced nine turnovers in the game. Not enough pressure there. The Wizards shot 64% on twos in the game and had a lot of free runways downhill once they broke the contain or limited contain at the perimeter attack. And then rebounding-wise, it was better throughout the game as the game went on. But early on, it was really, really bad. And the Wizards did get almost 40% of their own missed shots in this game, which is not going to be enough. Now, personnel-wise, it's kind of understandable. You know, John Collins played less and Sadiq Bay played more. That's going to hurt your defense a lot, a lot of the time. Also, the Hawks candidly probably should have gone to DeAndre Hunter more on Bradley Beal because DeJounte Murray, while he has some strengths as a defender, is miscast in my mind as a primary um, sort of on-ball stopper. It's not his role. In fact, I think he's a lot worse than people understand that he actually is in that role. 
Um, but when you're playing Young and Murray, and uh, yeah, you, yes, you have Hunter, but they, they kind of wanted to use Hunter on Kuzma at times. It was a little bit limited, and that's just a reminder that the, the, the personnel defensively is not fantastic for Atlanta on the perimeter in its current setup. Still, they were better at times, but you know, with the Wizards, credit to them, made a lot of shots in the second half, particularly Beal and Kuzma making some haymakers down the stretch, and that, that was the, sort of the end cause of what transpired at the end of this game. So we'll get into all of what transpired as far as the nuts and bolts of things, but big picture – this is not a great performance by Atlanta. They were favored in this game. Our friends at FanDuel had the Hawks as about seven and a half point favorites. That felt a little bit higher to me, which I did say behind the scenes to my friends in Peachtree Hoops uh, in that Slack channel. Still, though, I thought that this is a game that the Hawks needed to win. Now, does that mean that you burn down the building? No, it doesn't. It's just one of those games where uh, it's not quite as, as bad of a loss as there have, have been at times this year. The Wizards, crucially, are trying. Now, Washington's not great. But at this very moment, the Wizards are only a game and a half behind the Hawks in the standings. So they're right in the middle of the play-in mix. They are a team that was shorthanded in this game without Porzingis and also Monty Morris. So there's a little bit of that um, nuance here. But Washington is still trying, and they're, and they're a veteran team. They have a bunch of guys who know how to play. They have a star in Bradley Beal. They have a really good player in Kyle Kuzma. So I'm not excusing the loss. The Hawks should have won this game, and they were in control for the most part in this one. But as far as context is concerned, this is not a game, especially in, once again, game one of Quinn Snyder's tenure with zero practices and one shoot-around between him taking over and the start of the, and the, start of the uh, era of him being sort of in charge on the bench. It's not a great loss by any means, but the context kind of makes it a little bit more explainable. And again, after the game was over, nobody likes to lose for sure, but it was pretty upbeat by loss standards with regard to how guys were talking. It's more of a long-term approach. Obviously, they want to win now, but talking, you know, Snyder talked about being communica- communicating with DeJounte and Trey at a high level throughout the game. Everyone has been uh, very much praising Snyder's attention to detail in the last couple of days. So uh, still a pretty positive outlook there, even if even on a night where the Hawks did not play their best and took a loss at home as a result. All right, we'll get into more of what transpired in this one. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. The All-Star break is now behind us. The stretch run is definitely here now in the NBA. It's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 with FanDuel. That means bonus bets coming back to you. Your first bet does not win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app right now. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. You can bet anything that you're looking for in the sports world. That includes point spreads and totals, money lines, player props, and much more. There's also an interesting game for the Hawks coming up on Friday against the Blazers. And our friends at FanDuel will have a lineup well in advance of tip off tell you guys which is that matchup whatsoever from the hawks they'll have i'm sure interesting uh, player pops to offer as well by the time that game opens on friday and from there there are many exclusive bets at FanDuel, like the two by three which is whether i have two three pointers in the first three minutes of an nba game and much more plus FanDuel lets you combine bets together for, for a bigger payout with a same game parlay don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet to one thousand dollars in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash locked on that is fanduel.com slash locked on make everyone more with FanDuel, official sports partner of the nba Okay, we'll get into what transpired now with regard to how this game kind of flowed. And uh, the headliner early on was actually kind of funny. The Wizards had arguably the most bizarre coaches challenge I've ever seen. And I say that not lightly. I tried to think about this. Washington challenged a two-shot foul 105 seconds into the first quarter of this game. Now, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if it was asked about that after the game. I was focused on the Hawks, so admittedly I don't have that full arsenal at this moment in time. But uh, that was an indefensible decision by Washington. And by the way, they also lost the challenge. Even if they had won the challenge, it would have been crazy. But it was uh, one of the craziest things I've ever seen in my life. Anyway, <laughs> had to start with that because it was so early in the game. 
But the Hawks did have uh, DeAndre Hunter on Kyle Kuzma and John Collins on Denny Abdia, and they went with Murray as the primary guy on Beal, which I talked about earlier. Not my favorite alignment, but I understand why they had to do that with the small as they are in the backcourt and without you know anywhere to really hide um, some of their smaller guards in this game other than on DeLon Wright. Old friend, by the way, returned for the first time. I almost started with that podcast uh, sort of as a joke because for a lot of listeners, you will know that I'm a huge DeLon Wright advocate, but even I would not want to leave with that on this particular night. Anyway, well, I actually started off missing a bunch of shots early on. They were three of nine from the floor. They were down by seven by the middle of the first quarter. And on the glass, it was really a struggle. Uh, I think they were playing Capella a little bit higher up on the floor, and that kind of pushed other guys into help spots on the glass, and they were not able to sort of secure those rebounds when they kind of had to. They also gave up middle a lot defensively in the early going. It was uh, execution-wise in the pick and roll, pretty sloppy by Atlanta. And again, it got better throughout the game, but it was not great. Um, there was a beautiful like 45-foot outlet pass by Capella. Not always a great passer, but that was a delivered right in the money for Trey uh, for a layup. That was uh, fun. Didn't really expect to see that. Um, rotationally, it was pretty interesting. Um, there was a Actually, there were two very long stretches, kind of abnormally long in the first quarter without a whistle, a.k.a. a, AKA a stoppage. So they actually brought Bogey, Sadiq Bey, and Kongu into the game together after that first long stretch without a stoppage. And then there was another one. And Trey Young was at the table to come back in the game because, you know, usually if you're a Hawks fan, you'll probably know this from following the last couple of weeks and months. Trey takes a very short break in the first quarter where he sits like a minute and a half, something like that. This time around, he ended up sitting like the, four, the final four and a half, five minutes of the quarter because there was no there was no stoppage. So he was, he was at the table for like three minutes. It was, it was actually very strange to see. So they ended up not having Trey to come in until the second quarter. Um, on the floor, Bogey and Bay hit a couple of threes late in the quarter to tie the game. And the Hawks did attempt 10 threes in the first quarter. It was a good sign. Um, but it was odd. They only had zero turnovers in the first quarter, which is obviously very good. They got killed on the glass, and that sort of evened out the possession battle along the way. Trey did start the second quarter, which kind of never happens, honestly. Trey almost always sits to start the second and fourth quarters. But because he had sat for so long, they kind of had to do that to keep things on the rails. And then Griffin came in along alongside him. But I'll just do this now. Jalen Johnson did not play in this game. Now, I will we'll never know if it had anything to do with the fact that it was such a weird sort of disjointed rotation deployment in the first half, but it felt like um, that was kind of maybe planned, that they were not going to go to jail in this game. Now, Jalen, uh, sorry, Quinn Snyder gave a, gave a quote, I believe it's to Kevin Chenard of Hawks.com earlier uh, at shoot-around about, or maybe it was DeJounte's, one of those guys talked about how Quinn had referenced that they need Jalen. And people took that as like him playing and, you know, I think that Jalen Johnson, as I've said a number of times in the last few days and weeks, should be playing. But I also didn't take that to mean that he was definitely going to be playing now. Because, I mean, he's obviously the 10th man. It is what it is. And maybe it'll be matchup-based. Um, but after playing about five minutes or so in the first half on Sunday, it was a DNPCD for Jalen. I don't love that. I've said that on every podcast now for about two weeks. Uh, I stand by that. And uh, there's some interesting rotation choices in this game along the way overall. But I would be trying to play Jalen Johnson whenever possible. And they did not do that in this game. Um, there was a weird post-up possession by, by, by Sadiq Bay that I didn't love. And defensively, uh, we'll come back to this later on, he was an adventure in this one. Uh, but the Hawks had all kinds of containment issues, as I talked about earlier on the podcast, uh, really most of the year and also most of tonight. When they brought Cullens and Capella back in, things got a lot more stabilized in the end of the first half. Uh, Capella had a huge dunk over Daniel Gafford. It was nice to see. More switching from the Hawks defensively. They were more effective there. And then a big 15-4 run by Atlanta late in the first half to go up by seven points. There was a strange play, though, on the final play of the first half. Trey, it looked like there was going to be the end of the half. And then Trey was called for a foul with 0.9 seconds to go. It was originally reviewed to be on the floor. And then after a lengthy video review, it was changed to a three-point 
shooting foul. And old pal DeLon Wright went to the line, made all three, and Atlanta's lead went from seven down to four. It was a weird call, uh, strangely executed, but also not a smart play by Trey at all to execute that and foul at the end of the quarter. Um, so that was three points that were uh, unfortunate and honestly ended up biting the Hawks at the very end of the game, obviously. They ended up playing well on offense, as I talked about before in that first half. That continued in the second half for the most part. In fact, the Hawks scored 16 points in the first four minutes and 15 seconds of, of the third quarter. Trey was brilliant in the third quarter. It's easy to forget that now, maybe, if you were frustrated with him at the end of the game. But Trey was really good for three and a half quarters, especially in the third. He, the Hawks made three threes. He got to his spots for the most part in that third quarter overall. They were up by as many as 10 mid-quarter. Uh, Trey had that quick rest as usual. And uh, there was one play, actually, that I want to get to now. A Kongwu. Um, reacted about as crazily as you'll ever see him to a foul call. He's usually pretty mild-mannered. He was not in this case, but he blocked Bradley Beal on a drive, and it was just one of the worst calls you'll ever see, honestly. And Snyder kind of laughed at it after the game. He got some credit from a media member uh, for challenging that, and he kind of just said, like, no one was going to let me not challenge it. Like, the players went crazy, as did Okongwu. Obvious challenge. They ended up winning it, but just one of those plays that you shouldn't have to waste a challenge on. It was kind of crazy, but anyway, Kong looked crazy. I, I, I definitely appreciated his reaction because he's usually a pretty level-headed. But right after that, he got two fouls in a row and had five fouls in 11 minutes of playing time at that point in time. Now, neither one of those were friendly calls, and I'll just say this now as well. I thought the officiating was quite bad in this game, especially in the third quarter. Ed Malloy is my uh, nemesis in some ways as a crew chief of an officiating crew. And uh, I, I don't love that he just kind of like makes it known that he wants you to realize that he's there and officiating the game. That's kind of my read on things. But it was not just – it's the Hawks. I'll always say that. It's not always one side. But the Hawks had some really bad luck, officiating luck in that third quarter. Kongo had some. Hunter had some. It was just kind of a mess. And the whole quarter was just like sort of stagnant as a result of that. But Kongo was really got picked on. Ended up having to be a Capella for like 15 of the last 17 minutes of the game because Okongwu had five fouls so early in the third quarter. The Hawks did shoot incredibly well in the third. 5-8 um, from three and over 60% from the floor, but they were only up by one point in the entire quarter because there was a ton of whistles again. Washington shot the ball well and had only one turnover in that third period. Um, bogey was really good late in the third, early in the fourth. In fact, I would have liked to see more bogey in this game. Um, I do think that it's a, a wise choice, generally speaking, by Prunty over the weekend and, that, and now Quinn Snyder to kind of not push bogey too much minutes-wise, keep him fresh, keep him effective. But he played 20 minutes in this game. I thought he should, he should have been playing more down the stretch of this contest. And the Hawks just had trouble putting the game away. There were opportunities early in the fourth um, to put the game away, and they kind of never were able to do that. The Wizards kept cutting it down to five, cutting it down to four, or, or down to six. The Hawks led by between two points and ten points for basically the first 19 minutes of the second half. And then Wizards kind of just like chopped it down, chopped it down, and it was it was actually down to one at a timeout with about 3.40 to go. And at that, at that point, they came out with a small lineup with Sadiq Bey at the four, trying to get the offense going because they only had five points in five minutes. I would have personally gone with either Collins and their more traditional, better defensive lineup, or I would have gone with Bogey instead of Bay. Now, I don't think Bay is like indefensible to use there, but I think that you're getting the worst of both worlds with Sadiq Bay. If you go with Collins, you have a number one, a unit that's been proven to be awesome this year. The starting lineup has worked all the time for Atlanta. And also that's their best defensive group they could probably realistically play. Without going into like Aaron Holiday um, off the bench, They that lineup with Collins and Hunter and Capella has been effective on defense all year long. Now, the, the argument beyond that would be to juice the offense, and I get that. But And I get that Sadiq Bey is a little bit bigger than Bogey, but practically speaking, Bogey is not that much smaller than Sadiq Bey and also is pretty physical and pretty strong defensively when he plays. That's not, that's not really his limitation. And uh, 
all due respect to Bay, Bogey's a lot better offensive player than Sadiq Bay is. Obviously, they both have a shooting gravity, but Bogey's a lot more creative, a lot more, a lot better ball handler, etc. So I just don't like that move altogether. Obviously, it's one game. I'm not going to go crazy about it. Just one of my uh, obligations is to point out that I disagree and uh, with that decision. Anyway, um, with about three minutes to go, things got dicey. So they're already down. The, sorry, the lead's down to one at that point in time. Trey had a very bad live ball turnover with three minutes to go that led to a run-out dunk by the Wizards, and that gave Washington their first lead of the entire second half. After that, the lead stayed about one for Washington uh, with some traded buckets, traded empty trips, etc. Um, the Hawks had two chances down one with about a minute and a half to go and didn't score. Trey got blocked, and then Hunter missed a three. It was a decent look, just didn't go down. They ended up fouling Kyle Kuzma. He split those free throws to go up by two, and then Trey got blocked at the rim. And that was the third straight shot that Trey had blocked at the rim. Pretty crazy. Now, I will credit Washington, especially Daniel Gafford, for his rim protection. I thought he was really good in the fourth quarter of this game. But it's not every day you see your star player get blocked three times basically in a row in the fourth quarter. And that happened to the Hawks in this game. And then Bradley Beal hit a pull-up 20-footer to put the Hawks down by four with 35 seconds to go. And that capped a 17-5 run by Washington. Um, it wasn't over, but that was a huge blow, a big shot by Beal. As I talked about earlier, he was uh, he was really good down the stretch of this game. Now, out of a timeout, the Hawks did have their the play that they actually had to have. And it was Trey making an immediate three in five seconds. So the Hawks go from down four to down, to down by one. And they did it so fast, uh, credit to Trey there for the two for one, they didn't have to foul. So you're down by one. Uh, but after another timeout, I didn't love the deployment on the rotation here either. Um, I'll just fast forward a little bit here. Um, Beal got to his spot in isolation against Murray and scored with about nine seconds to go. Uh, just a star player making a play. So that's a lot of that's just like a hat tip to Beal. Like it wasn't terrible defense, it's just what it is. I don't like, though, the Hawks kept Trey and Sadiq Bey on the floor at that point in time. Now, the plan, I would assume there, is to stay with that lineup, and once you get a stop – you can go quickly and not have to call timeout. This is something that Lloyd Pierce dealt with, Nate's dealt, Nate's dealt with kind of the will they or won't they with taking Trey off the floor on defense. And they've done it all both ways, basically. The argument for this is that if you're down by one and you're going to stop, you could just go without, without without a timeout, get the ball to Trey, have him push it. And that's worked for the Hawks a couple times this year. Obviously, the, a couple of walk-offs from AJ Griffin, et cetera. Now, the problem there, though, is I'm okay with Trey playing. I, I'm less okay with Bay playing at that point in time. Because... Uh, the trade-off there is like I get it with Trey, but if you're if you get the stop, you're down by one. And Bay's appeal is that his three-point shooting is his big thing on offense. Uh, if you go with Collins at that point, Collins is a much better defender. And again, if you get the stop, you're down by one. Um, if you don't get a stop, which is what happened, you call timeout anyway, which is what the Hawks did. So if the Hawks are down by three, they call timeout. Then if you want to do that, take Collins off the floor. I'm totally fine with that. You go to Bay, you go to Bogey, etc. But it just didn't make a lot of sense, like logically to me at that point in time. Anyway, fast forward to the very end. I'm sure you've all seen it by now, but the Hawks got two really good looks, honestly. Uh, Trey missed both of them. Honestly, got, got kind of a fortunate bounce at the end. Capella um, off the rebounds and gets it to Trey in time to not even have to rush it. It was just a, it's a pretty good look from Trey. And honestly, from my angle, I thought it was going to go in. Uh, it just didn't fall. And, you know, Trey didn't play well down the stretch, but those two shots down three in that spot, all you can really ask for is your best player getting two looks at it to tie it, and he just doesn't have them, have them go down. And that's going to happen sometimes. So, like, I have no issue at all with the end. They got they got, they got got good looks, and uh, that's not really a problem. It was everything else before that that was really the issue for Atlanta. But anyway, I'm long-winded here, but I'll just say that, like, it was bad down the stretch. I give the numbers earlier, but it ended up being a 19-8 to run overall. It was, I believe it was a 17-5 to at one point. 
in favor of Washington. And uh, Trey's final numbers down the stretch, one of seven from the floor in six minutes, plus a turnover that was uh, directly into a, into a dunk by Washington. So your best player just didn't have it down the stretch, and that ended up kind of biting the Hawks. He wasn't the only one, but uh, it was kind of that was the primary thing, and uh, that's kind of the way the NBA goes. Your, your star player ends up taking the brunt of things down the stretch, either positively or negatively. And on this night, Bradley Beal just outdueled Trey Young when it mattered. All right. We'll get into the individual player breakdowns as we always do in the podcast. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Okay, we're back and we're getting into the player-by-player breakdowns on this night. Again, nine guys play for real Hawks. No Jalen Johnson, unfortunately, for a lot of Hawks fans in this game. We'll start with the Kongu who played the least, and it was foul trouble driven. I thought Kongu was fine when he played. He only uh, one of four from the floor had three points. Six rebounds, had a steal and a block. He was active, just didn't have his best stuff. And the fouls were just a little bit unfortunate there for him. But um, not, a, not a game to like be panicking about. But Washington did play pretty big the entire game with either Gaffer or Taj Gibson, who are pretty much tra- traditional centers at this point. So uh, not a huge matchup advantage to have a Kongwu in there versus Capella. AJ Griffin uh, struggled a little bit in this one. Had two points on four shots, two rebounds, two assists. Um, a fantastic Hawks fan named Grant Shirley brought this up on Twitter. And then I, I went and looked this up as well. Um, AJ's jump shot has been a little bit shaky lately. In fact, he is four of 23 from three in the last 10 games or so. It's like a three and a half week sample size, um, including the all-star break. And just for everybody's understanding, I don't worry about that at all. Griffin shooting is not a problem for me, but I've said this a few times in the last couple of weeks, like he's never played this much basketball in his career. Um, in fact, he was, you know, had, he had injury issues in high school and in college. This is a long season and AJ has been playing minutes in the rotation for a long time. He could be tired. He could be, just be uh, in a slump or whatever, but uh, you know, the rest of his game has been fine. I think he's been playing decently well, but the shot has kind of betrayed him for a little while now. I'm sure he'll hit up again in the near future, but just worth noting at this point in time. Um, Bogey, I thought was really good. Hit four threes in a short period of time. Got to the line for four attempts. Had 16 points on nine shooting possessions. Do the math on that. That's pretty good efficiency. Had two assists, two rebounds. Defensively, he looks a little bit better, I think, in the last couple of days. Obviously, it just helps to have his legs. I made this point with Glenn Willis and also with my on, on my own show recently. Uh, but I think that Bogey is a sneaky X factor for the Hawks. That was definitely the case here. And I would have played him even more down the stretch if I had the choice. And then Sadiq Bey. Kind of had a weird game. So this is a, one of those nuanced things. Bay had 12 points and six rebounds. He was four Bay from three. And that's obviously very, very effective and very, very valuable. He was a, uh, I believe a, 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 sorry, Trey was worse. So he was the second worst um, on the team in plus minus, at minus six. And it's a little bit nuanced here. So Bay's defense has been a problem so far, uh, a pretty glaring problem. If you watch the tape back, he has been their weakest link defensively pretty clearly since he got here. Now the first game, even the first two games, I would have just said, look, he just got here, no practice time, all that stuff. It's not really getting any, any better, which is the problem. Now, again, th- to be charitable in a lot of ways to Sadiq Bay, he's now played for four coaches in a week, essentially, or two weeks. That's insane. So uh, we'll, I'm not saying this is going to continue moving forward. But at the moment, he is getting picked on a lot and really being exploited a lot on defense. On offense, the shooting is very valuable. And hitting four threes, you can't really, uh, you, you don't want to overlook that. So there's some nuance here. I made a comp during the game to Gallinari. And that's not, they're not the same player. And I said that at the time, I'm going to be very clear about that. They are very different players, but I was trying to give a, a Hawks centric archetype of a guy that right now, Bay, his primary value is with his four spacing on offense. And defensively, he's a guy that you have to cover up for. He's been pretty bad so far. Um, you know, with Gallo, Gallo was much more of a shot creator on offense, much more of a mismatch guy. He's bigger than Bay, much more of a 4-5 than a 3-4, whereas Bay is a little bit more comfortable on the perimeter, but also less of a shot creator for himself, at least he should be. And, uh, you know, defensively, 
the witnesses there are pretty obvious. My friend Andrew Kelly, I hope you wouldn't mind me saying this, pointed out that also a good comparison for Bay, at least right now, is maybe like non-Hawks Torian Prince. Uh, Prince, when he's gone away from the Hawks, has been like a pretty bad defender at times, but also a guy who has to be guarded, similar size to Sadiq Bay, etc. We'll have more on, more time on this in the future, but I think uh, it's something to just kind of underline right now and just hope. I think the Hawks have to hope that Bay's defense improves because right now it's kind of the nightmare that I was maybe picturing on defense uh, coming out of Detroit. But again, it's such a small sample size and there's so much uncertainty that you can't just assume that's going to be this bad for, for the most part, but it's, uh, it's really hurting them actively and offensively it does help to have a spacing out there, but uh, they're still looking for the best combination I would say to go along with Collins behind him and then Jalen Johnson, because, you know, Jalen, I'd like to see him play more probably at the expense of Bay right now. Um, Bay's been fine. He's not unplayable, but I think that, you know, playing him as much as they have been recently, I would like to see a little bit more of those minutes go to Jalen Johnson at this point in time for development and also just to see what they have in Jalen overall, even in the moment at the moment, uh, sort of for this season. So um, to the starters in this game, Collins uh, played the least, 10 points, four rebounds in, on six shots, missed two threes uh, after making two on Sunday. I got the line for four or four from the free throw line. He was still pretty efficient offensively. Uh, certainly very quiet on offense. Didn't really do a lot in terms of like usage. Um, I'd love to see them play through him a little bit more. I'm intrigued to see what Snyder has in store for Collins where they have a little bit more time to maybe highlight him, him more, use him in more pick and roll. Etc. Uh, defensively, he's still by far their best option at the four, whereas Bay is their worst. Uh, I think uh, as somebody asked, as I tweeted something about that during the game. Somebody asked me like what the rankings are of defensive fours on the roster. Uh, it's Collins by a lot, and then uh, you know Jalen's got a lot of strengths uh, on defense, um, and then Hunter is definitely better at that spot than Bay is. But you know Collins' defense is certainly part of the uh, strengths of this of this roster. And again, as a reminder, the starters have been good together, as have Collins and Capella this year, and they're plus two when he was on the floor in this game. Hunter had kind of a quietish game. 14 points, three rebounds, did not have a, an assist, did have two blocks, um, and took 11 shots. That's perfectly fine. Took five threes, made two of them. That's solid as well. I would like to see him play a little bit more on Beal down the stretch um, to get Murray off of him for the most part, but I, I do understand that it's definitely challenging because Hunter had to guard Kuzma at times in this game too. I thought he was fine. He just didn't like light the world on fire either. Uh, Capella had a pretty solid game. 13 points, 15 rebounds, three blocks, two steals, three assists. Um, definitely looks good on the stat sheet. Um, I thought early on he was struggling in the first quarter, and then once he settled in, he was much better. Um, I think they're going to have to sort of figure out what the rotation looks like for him in a Kongwu, what the defensive deployment looks like as well, because once they kind of got back into his groove, he was much better. Um, and 35 minutes for Capella is a lot, but obviously it was tied to Kongwu's foul trouble in the second half. And then uh, Trey and Ajante. So Neither was efficient, which certainly hurt the Hawks on some level in this game. DeJounte had 7 of 18 from the floor, 1 of 6 from 3, so it was seven, sorry, 6 of 12 on 2, which is totally fine, but 3-point shooting was a little bit shaky. 5 assists, 15 points, just a little bit quiet, not efficient overall. And then defensively, he had all kinds of issues with Bradley Beal in this game. And I don't want to point, pick on DeJounte too much. That's a hard assignment. Bradley Beal is a star player. But it is a reminder, as something I've been saying all season long, DeJounte's reputation on defense is a little bit outpacing his performance. His playmaking is still very strong on defense as a, jump, a guy who jumps in passing lanes and gets deflections, et cetera. But his on-ball defense is really lacking, and that was sort of showing up in this game as well. And then Trey, again, like he was really good for about three and a half quarters, and then he just wasn't down the stretch. Um, the three shots that were blocked, always some credit to the defense there, but ended up being a six of – Sorry, nine of 20 on twos and two of six on threes. Guys line eight times. 31 points on 30 possessions is not terrible by any means, but it's not great either. Um, seven, seven assists, four turnovers. 
It's just the crunch time just didn't have it. And the two missed shots at the very end were more of a shrug for me, whereas the ones before that were the bigger problem for Trey. But he'll have better nights. He'll have worse nights. And everybody seemed to be pretty upbeat after the game was over. All right. That's it for this game. But I will say the Hawks now have two days to practice and get Quinn more up to speed, more involved in advance of Friday. Obviously, him coaching this game was a little bit strange with no practice. They had one shoot around in between. And they play the Blazers on Friday, their fifth consecutive home game for the Hawks. Uh, we'll see how that one fares. Um, Portland is currently playing, as I record this, they're playing in Golden State. Um, so that'll be a long trip for them to go from San Francisco on Tuesday to Atlanta. Um, I believe that actually might play in between there as well. I'm looking this up now uh, live on the podcast. But yeah, the, the Blazers actually do play again on Wednesday as well. They play New Orleans at home. So even a longer flight from Portland to New Orleans between Wednesday and Friday. So an advantage there for the Hawks. And then also as a reminder, this is the first of four games against Washington in a 21-game sample size. In fact, the Hawks play the Wizards twice next week on Wednesday and Friday in D.C., and then they come back to Atlanta. I believe it's the third last game of the season yeah, in April. So a lot of Wizards talk in the uh, coming days. And, again, this is a game the Hawks should have won. No, no question about that. I'm not going to sugarcoat that whatsoever. It's a game the Hawks need to win moving forward. They're 500 on the season. The door is still open for them to do what they want to do, but uh, it was one they probably need to get uh, at home in this spot just to be very candid about that. Uh, still, Washington – sorry – Portland on Friday is a very winnable game. The Hawks will be favored in that game almost like, uh, I would say, almost certainly. And then four in a row on the road after that, going to Miami for two and Washington for two. So that will be an important game on Friday. We'll touch on that later on this week. I am planning to do at least one show between now and Friday, so please stay tuned for all of that. And please subscribe to the show across platforms on your podcast platform of choice, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, uh, we're on Stitcher. We're also over on the video side on YouTube. Likes and subscriptions and reviews and ratings and all that fun stuff. And also follow the show on Twitter at Lots on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roll and follow my Patreon for the written content over at patreon.com slash BT Roll. And I appreciate everyone listening to the podcast. It's been a very busy week on the show. So please go back, go back and listen to those old shows as well. Uh, I believe it's like seven shows in the last seven and a half days. Something like that between the McMillan dismissal. And, and the Snyder stuff and uh, my conversation yesterday with Glenn Willis. It was a fun show, uh, and we'll have much more of all of that coming up in the near future. One more time, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you all after the game on Friday at the very latest, but probably in between there. So please stay tuned, subscribe to the show, and we'll see you next time.